It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, you tuned in to another magical installment of Disney Blue's Disney On Demand. And welcome once again to our new kind of Disney show. And with spring fully in motion, the weather is warming up, we're feeling good. You know, summer is right around the corner. And with that comes ways where you're just laying there. You're staring at the sky and you're using your imagination to just find those shapes within the clouds. And being a father of four kids, I always try to spark that imagination. And what better way to do that than to go back to the days of Epcot's center. Yes, I will add the center after it, because this week we have a special treat for all of you Epcot fans as we're welcoming the author, the improv actor, the entertainment with the career with so many stories. You may also know him as the Dream Finder, yes, from Journey into Imagination. We have Ron Schneider stopping in here this week here at Disney On Demand. That's right, Ron Schneider has portrayed the Dream Finder for quite some time. You saw him reprise that role at the D23 event and many other things. And Ron has a book out with all of his memoirs. And come on, all of us remember the Dream Finder and Figment. He has left that mark on us. He is the spokesperson for Epcot. It is one of those attractions that continues to evolve where, you know, Disney fans in the community have always had their uprising and their uproaring to bring back the original show, which Disney has yet to do. But we have Ron Schneider stopping in here shortly to share his stories, fun, and more from his years of being the Dreamfinder with Figment. In addition, we have the D-Team back. Yes, the show would not be complete without the D-Team here. We have the complete D-Team stopping in as we have Jamie back delving into Walt's Nine Old Men in the Artist's Corner. We also have Lexi, our D-Team member from Down Under, as she's going to give you a little bit more about our special guest here this week, Ron Schneider. We also have Jason as he's going down below here in the DOD studios as he's going to tap into the vault with another DVD and Blu-ray that you just might want to add to your collection. And we have our newest D-Team member, Aaron, as he's going to be stopping in and answering all of those listener questions from all of you D-Heads with I Want to Know and many other goodies. So we have a jam-packed show here this week, D-Heads. I mean, so much, it is just ridiculous. So hang on to your hats, let's jump onto the dark ride and journey into imagination here this week for the week of May 6th, 2013 for show number 38 here at Disney On Demand. I'll be right back, all you D-heads. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart <laughs> of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. Oh, hello there. So glad you could come along. I am the Dream Finder. <laughs> Musical notes. What delightful melodies those will make. I love these flights of fancy. Searching the universe for sounds, colors, ideas, anything that sparks the imagination. A sunbeam. That's a good one. Oh, everything I collect can inspire amazing and marvelous new ideas. 
and you never know what kind of figment you may come up with. Oh, here's my favorite. Two tiny wings, eyes big and yellow, horns of a steer, but a lovable fellow. From head to tail, he's royal purple pigment, and there, voila! You got a figment, a figment of imagination. Oh, Dreamfinder, I'm just right. Ah, uh, 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 not quite. Huh? I'll throw in a dash of childish delight. <laughs> Look, figment, some new friends have joined us. Can they imagine too? Of course, imagination is something that belongs to all of us. You mean everyone can think up new things? <laughs> That's right, figment, and every sparkling idea can lead to even more. So many times we're stumbling in the dark, and then you reach. What a spark! How are we going to use lightning? Hmm. We can combine it with ghostly shivers on a stormy night and turn them into a tale of fright. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh look, look, a rainbow! How do you use that? You paint with. Now you've got it. Wow, wow, wow. Numbers, letters, papers for writing, costumes, makeup, stages for lighting, turn off laughter. <laughs> what about science? Science? We'll need electron beams and crystal prisms, gyroscopes and magnetisms, holy grail and figments. Why? The idea bag is full. It is? Let's start making new things. <laughs> no, wait. First, we must store these ideas with the others in the dream port. Are we almost there? Oh, the dream port is never far away when you use your imagination. Come on, everybody, let's we go! We all have sparks. Imagination. That's how our minds create creations. <laughs> right at the start of everything that's new, one little spark lights up for you. Oh, boy! Imagination, a dream can be a dream come true with just that spark in me and you. Super. In their dealings with dressed envelope to Davis and Kurt. Write down that piece. As we talk about tomorrow, here's a bulletin for you. There is no imagination crisis in this country, especially here at Disney World. We've gathered a panel of imagination experts just to prove it. Imagination, it's a good word, especially when it's spelled with a capital I. And here's Disney's newest authority on imagination from the Imagination <laughs> Pavilion here at Epcot. He is Dreamfinder. Hello there, Brian. Good to have you here at Epcot. <laughs> and who is Dreamfinder? Well, I'm kind of the host of the Journey into Imagination show out here at Epcot Center. I travel all over the universe collecting the stuff dreams are made of. Sounds, colors, ideas, anything that sparks the imagination. And I store these sparks in the Journey into Imagination Pavilion. And the guests and I recombine them into new ideas and new inspirations. I am left to assume that you do not dream alone. Who's your little purple oh, Well, friend? this is actually something I dreamed of. This is my figment. And I'm very proud of him. You see, I threw together the, the two tiny wings, the nose of a crocodile, the horns of a dilemma, and all the calm and reserve of a small child's birthday party. 
<laughs> and so he, with his, his curious and naive way of looking at life, shows me things that I would never have guessed in my own uh, knowledge and experience. If you are the spirit of imagination, then the gentleman to your left certainly might be called the father of imagination. He is one of Disney's Imagineers, and he helped come up with the idea for Dreamfinder and Figment. His name, Barry Braverman. We welcome you. Um, Imagineer. I had the feeling I just invented a new word. Is that a profession? Is that a personal statement? Well, it's a term we use at WED to describe what we do. We think it's a kind of a unique blend of art and engineering, so we've coined that phrase. Imagination is a very difficult thing to characterize. It's difficult to, to capture and picture. What is it you've set out to do? Well, what we've, we've tried to do, as the Dreamfinder indicated, is give a very simple kind of a scheme for how the imaginative process works in this pavilion. And, and what we've done is boiled it down to three steps, gathering, uh, storing, and then recombining into new things. And we, we wanted to say to people that imagination is something we all share. It's, it's a common ability that we all have, and all we need to do is, is look at the world in an open and, and uh, risk-taking way, and, and we can begin this process. When you rush around in hopeless circles Searching everywhere for something true You're at the age of not believing When all the make-believe is through When you set aside your childhood heroes And your dreams are lost upon a shelf you're at the age of not believing And worst of all, you doubt yourself You're a castaway where no one hears you On a barren isle in a lonely sea Where did all the happy endings go? Where can all the good times be? You must face the age of not believing Doubting everything you ever knew Until at last you start believing There's something wonderful in you Face the age of not believing, doubting everything you ever knew. 
Until at last you start believing There's something wonderful in you Hey there, this is Chasen Hampton, originally from the new Mickey Mouse Club. You might remember the party. This is Disney On Demand. It's Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, so we're back once again. I hope you enjoyed the kickoff for show number 38 for the week of May 6, 2013. And I am stoked here this week in the DoD 76 studios because the Dreamfinder is stopping in. I myself have a variety of photos with the Dreamfinder back from 1982 all the way on up. And just like many of you Epcot fans, I always wish that they would bring back that original show. And as a special treat, stay tuned somewhere close to the end of this show because you truly will enjoy it. So, all of you D-heads, there's a lot of things going on here this week. I am stoked. Like I said, we have Ron Schneider, the Dreamfinder, stopping in here very shortly. And we have tons of news hot off the D-Wire, the D-Team, and many other things. So before I jump right into it, I do want to give you different ways that you can stay connected here at Disney On Demand. And remember, first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past archives, current shows, news blogs, and more. And remember, if you want to subscribe to our show using iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or many other devices, if you want to subscribe to our show, all you have to do is search Disney On Demand or Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio, and it'll come up right there and you can subscribe to our new kind of Disney show. So all of you D-heads, jumping right into it here this week. We have a variety of things going on, so I'm going to jump right into news hot off the D-wire. And how about Disneyland Space Mountain reopening after a month of repairs? That's right, this past week, Space Mountain in Disneyland has reopened following repairs that were needed following a safety violation, according to reports. The ride was officially reopened Friday night at 6.30, p.m. according to the Hollywood Reporter. Now the 36-year-old popular ride was closed in April after a contractor fell and suffered broken bones while cleaning Space Mountain's slanted roof that we all know, the iconic roof that we know of. A month earlier, the machinist was critically injured when he was hit by a speeding vehicle during test rides before the park opened. Now the state officials said that the safety rules were violated, which led them to issue a safety citation to the Anaheim Resort. Now the contract company was fined nearly $61,000 for the safety violations. Now, aside from that, a penalty of nearly $235,000 was proposed by the California Division of Occupational Safety and Health against the Disney in connection with the contractor's injury. Now, the state agency has not decided on following up inspections if they are needed at all, but according to a spokesman for the Division of Occupational Safety and Health, They have said, we consistently strive to maintain a safe work environment for our cast members and contractors, and we are reviewing certain protocols. Well, aside from everything happening, you can cheer, you can clap, and you can get all ready, because if you're heading to the Disneyland Resort, Space Mountain is back in action. Now, pushing right along, let's move from the resorts to the small screen. And how about something that is for all those kids in your lives, whether it's your children, your nieces, your nephews, just some children that you know. We're always trying to be healthier as a nation and really push many different things. Well, Disney Channel and Disney Junior have a brand new show that debuted this week. And let me tell you, my children love it. It is called That's Fresh 
for kids. Now, this is a new iteration of the popular Disney Junior Nightlight cooking series, That's Fresh. Now, it premiered this week on Disney Channel, with new episodes debuting every morning throughout the week. Now, it's hosted by Chef Helen, and the series encourages young viewers to play an active role in cooking process and having importance on very different healthy dishes. Now, each episode stars Chef Helen as she prepares simple and nutritious recipes. They require no sharp objects or cooking whatsoever. Now, this is a great way for kids to interact. Both my children, my older children, I guess I should say, having four of them, but both my older children have already done cooking classes like this at a variety of different places that we sign them up for where there's no sharp objects, there's no cooking. It's just fun and healthy ways for them to prepare dishes. Now, they're going to have a variety of different things from veggie rolls, fruit kebabs, trail mix, berry pops, Doc McStuffins, no-bake muffins, and a variety of other things. Now, that's Fresh debuted in September of 2012 on Disney Junior Late Night. Well, now That's Fresh for Kids is debuting this week. It truly is fun. You know, we had a chance to catch a preview episode of it, and we love it. Our kids love it. It is great. And it is definitely going to be one that your kids are going to want to have to do, and you can do it along with them as a parent. It's a great way to interact with them and have fun, whether you're a mother, a father, or you're just there and want to help and just, you know, do something interactive with your child. Now, definitely check it out. It is airing every single day at 10.55 a.m. at Eastern Standard Time. So definitely check it out. That's Fresh for Kids, debuting on the Disney Channel. Now, moving forward from the small screen, how about getting into the big screen with Iron Man 3? Yes, with Disney acquiring the Marvel Universe, we can always report on things that are bigger and beyond just the Disney names now. And how about Iron Man 3 delivering over $175 million? to start Disney summer. That's right, Iron Man 3 burst into theaters this past weekend with over $175 million in U.S. and Canadian ticket sales, giving Walt Disney Company's Marvel Division its second straight mega hit to start the summer movie season. Now, the opening weekend haul for the film starring Robert Downey Jr. was the second biggest of all time behind Marvel's The Avengers in May of 2012. With over $504 million in international receipts, Iron Man 3 has collected over $680 million in just 12 days of release. Seriously, that is a crazy number. Now, I understand everybody wants to see Iron Man 3. It definitely is going to be a fun film. I personally will see it. I'm excited for it. Now, don't take this wrong, D-heads. I also am tired of the torn hero third movie in every series. Think about it. Batman, Iron Man, Spider-Man. It's the oh, woe is me. I don't want to be a superhero anymore kind of tired of that storyline which makes me excited for superman but i will see the film i am excited for it and come on you got to give disney props on having this you know film just burst onto the scene with over 504 million dollars internationally just on opening weekend with over 600 million globally now since we are talking about uh, you know movies and television and you know movie series that disney has acquired yes this past weekend uh, the fellow star wars dork and myself as many as many of you d heads probably are as well We celebrated May the 4th be with you this past weekend. Yes, Disney Hollywood Studios welcomes Star Wars once again with May the 4th be with you. All of us always have fun doing this. It's a great tongue-in-cheek. And this year, we got to celebrate Revenge of the 5th. Come on. 
it didn't get more cheesy than that. But there's a lot of different things that were happening at the Disney Hollywood Studios, from special fireworks and more. And there was rumors going on variety of different places. And I think most notably, it got its run on Twitter, which we even reported that there was going to be a big announcement from Bob Iger and also George Lucas at the end of the fireworks. Well... It was a hoax. It never happened. But hey, may the 4th be with you. It was fun. It was a great annual celebration once again. But with that said, that led us into a variety of different things as Star Wars Weekends 2013 is now releasing a variety of different things from D-Tech Me. They're going to have the Carbon Freeze returning as well as having a Stormtrooper option. Yes, you heard me correct. According to Disney, the 10-minute experience that uses the highest resolution, single-shot 3D face scanner created system, where you could get your very self in Carbonite, same as Han Solo, is now going to do that where you can be standing as a Stormtrooper. So now if you're one of Vader's troopers, if you're one of the 501st, You can officially be that by becoming a Stormtrooper as well. There's going to be a variety of different things that you can do. Now remember, you don't get these on location. The one thing that many guests were uh, upset about or didn't understand is you place your order, they scan it, and they make it, and you will receive it in the mail roughly about seven to eight weeks later. Now there's a variety of things that are taking place as part of Star Wars Weekends this week, and those are just two that are definitely going to be fun. If you want to find out more about this, you can definitely check out Star Wars Weekends on the official Walt Disney World website at WaltDisneyWorld.com, and we'll definitely keep you posted as well. All I got to say is I have myself in Carbonite. This year, I am making sure I get myself as a Stormtrooper. Yeah, sounds nerdy of me, sounds dorky of me, and might I add... My wife thinks it is just ridiculous, but I'm going to do it anyways. And I can guarantee both my boys might want it done this year as well. Now, staying with movies and entertainment and that kind of news in Disney Realm, how about the secret getting leaked about an all-new Disney animated film starring Jason Bateman? Now, it is very rare that Disney releases a variety of different things before the film is well into production. But now a variety of people have chatted with directors Nathan and Brian Howard on the publicity trail for Tangled early in 2011. And there's a variety of different details that are coming up with a brand new film with Jason Bateman. Now, there's not too much to release on this, so I can't really give you too much more about it. But let's just say that the project now casts Jason Bateman through a variety of details that were released through The Hollywood Reporter. Now, Jason Bateman is in talk to be the voice star actor in the new Walt Disney animated feature that is going to be helmed by Tangled director Brian Howard. Now, like most Disney animated films, this one is going to be an animal comedy that is going to have a variety of different lead characters be animals as well. Now, this year we do have Frozen that is going to be hitting from Disney, as well as the big announcements with Big Hero 6 next year, and also Finding Dory taking slot in 2015. So as Disney is on the roll, and as I think what they're doing is really getting people's love of animation back once again because they have been taking flack how they're not releasing the animated classics that everybody loves. They're just trying to release just enough information to get your whistles wet. Now moving from the big screen back to the small screen and let's head on back to the Disney Channel. And last week here at Disney On Demand, we talked about Good Luck Charlie debuting for their fourth and final season. Well, now actress Marie Harrington is now heading to Disney Channel's Good Luck Charlie for its fourth and final season. Now, the comedy actress and voiceover talent, Marie Harrington, is heading to Disney Channel with appearances on two of their kid-friendly shows. Now, first up, she's going to join the cast as a reoccurring guest on the mega-popular Good Luck Charlie, beginning on the episode this last May 5th, 
and she's also going to be lending her voice to a penguin for the animated series Doc McStuffins that is coming out in its second season very shortly as well. Now, Marie made millions of fans with her role as a smart student Betty on CBS's How I Met Your Mother. She's also appeared on the new Normal, Modern Family, and the upcoming USA series Graceland. Now, the Canadian native has lent her voice to a variety of characters, and recently as Hydrax, the little furry creatures who helps sit in the gang on Ice Age's Continental Drift. Well, now you're going to be able to see her coming up on Good Luck Charlie in this fourth and final season and on Doc McStuffins as an all-new character as a penguin. Now, here at Diz Radio, we always bring you just some of the Disney news that you don't really read anywhere else. We keep it, you know, all over the board. If it's Disney, we're going to bring you some of our odd news. And how about one that uh, is truly off-topic here that is kind of crazy? How about a would-be Disney cruiser robbing a credit union yes that one's going to take a minute to sink in instead of sipping mai tais on the lido deck of a disney cruise ship a north carolina man is spending his florida vacation in jail yes cedric roy swinson whose age is 37 robbed a satellite beach credit union after realizing he didn't have enough money for the disney cruise his family was about to board on according to commander brad hodge with the satellite beach police department as it has been released he drove all night but couldn't access his account and didn't want to disappoint the kids at about 10:40 a.m last wednesday swinson left his girlfriend and her two children inside their white sport utility vehicle while he wrote a note demanding money at the teller's window and put his hand inside his jacket to suggest he had a gun they did mention that no guns were found now the bank alarm went off and a 911 call from a bank teller alerted police who were able to locate swinson and an undisclosed amount of money about six minutes later on a1a i love a1a but not for the reason of robbing anything now swinson's girlfriend was not arrested and they said that her and her children were completely uninvolved and seemed surprised about what happened. Now, Swinson's arrest could provide a learning experience for those who get carried away about spending money on luxury products and exotic destinations. In the moment, a Disney cruise may seem like the most important thing, but if we stop, breathe, remind ourselves, and just let it go. Now, as they put it, he felt pressured that he had to surprise everybody and fulfill his promise on this trip. They booked this trip months in advance, geared up for it, got excited, and when he realized he didn't have enough money, he mentioned to her that he couldn't access his ATM machine, he was going into the bank to straighten it out. But instead, he robbed the place. Let's just say that... uh, this truly is a different kind of experience. So, D-Heads, before I let you go this week with news and take a breather, leave you off to the D-Team, there's a couple of other things that I'll let you in on. And how about prom dresses? Yes, for that older princess in your life. You know, you the, the one princess you just don't want to grow up too fast. But prom dresses, the Disney Forever Enchanted Collection, is now released. For that princess in your life who is getting ready, you're trying to find that gorgeous prom dress, you may want the perfect one for the big night, and now getting ready for prom can be very exciting, a little scary, but truly enchanted, because the Disney Forever Enchanted 2013 Prom Collection is here. It is inspired by Disney's classic Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and there's nearly over a hundred gorgeous prom dresses, ranging from elegant to sassy, that can let her have her true personality show. Now, the elegant prom dresses come in different lengths, fabrics, designs, colors, and styles, all maintaining that Disney essence with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, you can find out more about this collection. I mean, they truly are elegant. It truly does lend itself to have that something special for the princess in your life. You can find out more about this and the Enchanted Collection. All you have to do is go to ExciteProm.com. That's the letter X, 
CITEPROM.com and check out their Forever Enchanted collection. Now, one last thing before I let you go, D-Heads. Now, this one isn't going to make much sense unless you're a dentist, but you know what? We don't want to narrow the gap here. We're going to let everybody know. But the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry is ready to host its 66th annual session in Orlando. That's right. Coming up this year, the 66th annual event is going to be kicking off at Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Hotel and Convention Center May 23rd through the 26th with over 5,600 participants that are registered for this year's event. Now, they're going to have a variety of different things from workshops, uh, speeches, writers about its rich experience and more and they're going to have a variety of different people that are going to be attending with over 5,600 participants according to president of the AAPD, Dr. Joel Berg. So if you are a dentist, if you're in dentistry or you're just excited to attend this event, it is coming May 23rd to the Swan and Dolphin, the 66th annual American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. So, all of you D-heads, with that, I'm going to let you go right now. Take a break from my rambling here on the D-Wire here this week. We have a lot of things planned, lots of fun, and there's a lot of just things that are energized here this week as we're gearing up for that journey into your imagination with the one and only Ron Schneider, the Dreamfinder himself, stopping in here very shortly. So before I let you go, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by Pixie Vacations. And right now, you can also get free dining through Pixie Vacations, and they can help you book your Walt Disney World trip, your Disneyland, California Adventure, Destinations by Disney, a cruise, and more. Just contact all the agents at Pixie Vacations as they are knowledgeable and can help you in all your Disney planning needs. Check them out at PixieVacations.com. So all of you D-heads, with that, I'm going to take a drink. I made myself my very own Dole Whip here this week in the DOD 76 studios. So I'm pretty stoked about that, and I'm going to delve into this thing here. So I'm going to release the reins to the D-team. Aaron and Jamie are waiting in the horizon. And when I come back, we got a little bit more news before we head on to Ron Schneider. Be right back, all of you D-heads. Like silly, and Mickey Mouse was the star. When he swaggered in with his big wide grin, I knew that he'd go far. Big feet flapping, got me clapping. I love that Mickey so. That long tail figured strutting showman really stole the show. Friendly Pluto barked away, and Mickey was his pal. Donald and Goofy drove him crazy, but Minnie was his gal. He rescued Minnie time after time, a hero through and through. Whatever the danger, he always came running when Minnie called you. I grew up on Mickey Mouse, and Mickey grew on me. Happy birthday, Mickey. And play them all with a flair Clerk or conductor or Hollywood star He left his mark everywhere To 
Dancing and romping, running and stomping. I watched him when he played with Minnie and Donald, Goofy and Pluto, and Disney on parade. I grew up on Mickey Mouse, Mickey grew on me. Happy birthday, Mickey Mouse, happy anniversary. This is Epcot Center. Epcot Center at Walt Disney World in Florida. Are now invited to enjoy the world premiere of World of Color. you D-heads out there, and welcome to another installment of The Artist's Corner. I'm Jamie, and today we're going to actually continue to talk about Disney's artist and animation and its animators, but today we're actually going to take a side road and not talk about a member of Disney's Nine Old Men. We're actually going to talk about an animator that actually inspired Disney's Nine Old Men. And this Disney animator's name is Fred Moore. Fred Moore was an American artist and character animator for Walt Disney Productions. Often called Freddy, he was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Despite limited formal art training, he rose to prominence at Disney very quickly in the early 30s due to his great natural talent and the tremendous appeal of his drawings, those drawings which is still greatly admired by animators and animation fans of today. Moore is best known for being the resident specialist in the animation of Mickey Mouse. He is most notable for redesigning the character in 1938 for his landmark role as the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia, a look which remains Mickey's official look to this day. His animation of the earlier Mickey design was especially memorable in the 1938 short The Brave Little Tailor, the last significant appearance of the pie-eyed Mickey. 
Moore's other significant work at the studios included The Three Little Pigs, on which he was the principal animator, animation supervisor of The Dwarfs and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, most of Lampwick and Pinocchio, all of the pool room scene until halfway through his transformation to a donkey, and Timothy the Mouse and Dumbo. Moore animated some scenes of the mice from Cinderella, some of the later scenes of the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland, and did the mermaids in the Mermaid Lagoon for Peter Pan. Now, Moore was often well-known around the studio for his drawings. Moore's drawings and design style have come to optimize the formative years of the studio in between the Ub Iwerks departure in 1931 and the rise of the Disney's Nine Old Men. Freddie Moore left the Disney Studios in 1946 and worked for a man by the name of Walter Lance, where he redesigned the character Woody Woodpecker during the two-year stint that ended his return to Disney in 1948. Now in 1952, when Moore was already at work animating the mermaids and the Lost Boys for Peter Pan, when him and his wife Virginia were involved in a traffic crash in 1952. Sadly, the next day, Moore died from his injuries at St. Joseph's Hospital, right located just across the street from the Disney Studios. Freddie Moore was inducted as a Disney legend by the studios in 1995 and then received an Animation Industries Windsor McKay Award in 1983. Here we have former Disney animator Don Bluth along with Disney legend Mark Davidus to talk about the different characteristics and styles of Freddie Moore. There's Frank, there's Ollie, there's, you know, uh, there's um, Milk Collin, all of these guys who have been going to Chouinard Art School and learning how to draw the human figure and learning what, how to move it around. In comes this guy who plays baseball, Freddie Moore, he's a young guy. Walks into the studio, picks up the pencil and just goes, doesn't even know why he's doing it. And his characters. Have you seen any of his drawings? The characters you just go. He revolutionized the way uh, Mickey Mouse looks. He, he designed the way all the dwarves look. He designed, redesigned all the Disney characters because when he drew them, everybody went, oh, it can't be the old way anymore. And he didn't even know he was doing it. And all the other animators, what do you suppose their feeling was? Did luck him? <laughs> I think it was love-hate. In comes this kid, much younger, just does it. And I'm sure that there's a little bit of, I can't believe it, and there's a lot of talk about him. And then when Walt started saying things like, well, see how Freddie's drawing it? The rest of you, draw like that. The outside experiences of an animator, perhaps before he ever came to the studio, reflect an awful lot on how you perform, how you act, how you see. Fred Moore, one of the early animators, was a very young man all of his life. He he was like the characters that he drew. He developed Mickey into a character who was able to act and act as a human being. But at this time, he was becoming more and more a little boy in this abstract clothing of Mickey Mouse. So you see, it's not the nine old men that actually started the magic of Disney animation. There are certain people who inspire other people to make the magic. Now with continuing Disney art news, the artist showcased with continued artwork by Larry Dotson. to schedule his appearance throughout the Magic Kingdom at the Uptown Jewelers May 6th through May 11th. He will also continue his appearance May 16th through the 19th throughout the day at the Art of Disney inside Epcot Park. Also continuing his Disney appearances is Disney artist David Doss. 
David's going to be continuing his appearances May 8th through the 19th, and then again June 27th through July 3rd at the Art of Disney, downtown Disney Marketplace. And in getting back for next time's segment, we're going to continue our continuing outlook on Disney's Nine All Men. We'll cover the artist, Wooly Ritherman. We'll see you all, D-Heads, next time. We'll see you real soon. Hey, D-Heads, when you aren't enjoying Disney On Demand, head on over to DizRadio.com and listen to our famous Lifetime of Disney Player, where you can while away the hours reliving Disney classics from film, television, and the parks. What are you waiting for? Keep your hands and arms inside at all times and go to DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. And have a magical day. First century's here. It's time for the dream to come true. This glorious figment of one man's imagination. It started a long time ago. Continued to flower and grow. From the marvelous mind of that magical man. Now the theme of the dream and the fabulous plan are born and just bust in to get underway. And the 21st century begins today. The 21st century's now. There's history happening here. Before you, you see how the dream reached its culmination. Thrilling sight one could see With visions of things yet to be A brilliant design of incredible scope Constructed of miracles, magic and hope And a new kind of joy for this weary old sphere And the 21st century begins right here That you can touch and feel The world of Epcot's all around you But it's no fantasy Magnificent dream realized. But but maybe you're asking yourselves, well, what's an Epcot? Well, it's a good question. Is it just another amusement park? Mm-hmm. Number one, Epcot is the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. And number two, Epcot isn't just an anything. Oh no. Isn't just a resort, it isn't just a world's fair, not just a cavalcade of wizardry, technology, and flair. It's not just Epicurean displays by international gourmets where one can dine, lunch, munch, crunch for days and days and days. Not just a festival of music, dance, the arts, or education, nor a pageant for the senses sparked by wild imagination. Just communication, nor the bounty of the land, not just the world of motion, nor the ocean or the sand. It's not just transportation, nor light or sight or sound, not just satellites in space, nor the fossils underground. Where 
is concerned, there ain't no just about it. Epcot isn't just in anything, it's everything and more. A great deal more than anything the world has seen before. The perfect planned community, the splendorific sprawl. And Epcot Center is the heart of it all. Just so there's no confusion, Epcot Center is located in the center of Epcot. And Epcot Center is made up of two parts, which is Future World and the World Showcase. It's 2.5 miles from the Magic Kingdom, which is also part of Epcot, which is what the entire 27,000-acre area known as the experimental prototype community of tomorrow, or Epcot, or Walt Disney World, is called. <laughs> Just so there's no confusion. I hear a thousand voices loud and strong. And Epcot is the song, the wonderful song. One dream waits to welcome you here. Disneyland proudly presents Light Magic. Hey, D-Heads. This is Aaron, and I'd like to welcome you to another installment of I Want to Know. You guys keep sending in some great questions, so let's reach into the virtual mailbag and see what we have this week. Our first question is from Tim Walter from Charleston, South Carolina, and he wants to know, my question is about Epcot. A long time ago on TV, during a parade special or something, there was a big-time spectacular show that took place in front of the fountains. It had big people on stilts and things. I think it may or may not have to do with Captain Neo in Good vs. Evil. I loved it, and my family and I went there a few months later, and it was there. Then we went back like two weeks after, and it was gone. Am I not really remembering this? Was there really a show? Nobody remembers what I'm talking about. Well, this was a tough one to find info about, but fear not, Tim, your memory is intact. There was a show, like you described, that took place in front of the Fountain of Nations, but it was very short-lived. There is not a lot of info about this act, but I've managed to piece together some descriptions. They were a Russian group that performed from 1999 to 2000 and described as an astronomer leading a trio of butterfly people. They were also described 
as the Alien Trio, and I imagine that is why you remember it as having something to do with Captain EO. The astronomer wore a half-globe hat. He led his winged nomadic adventurers who could instantly transform into butterflies, angels, or villains. Unfortunately, I couldn't find a backstory about the show. But apparently, they were a very quirky, odd group, but very entertaining. I hope this is the group you are speaking of, Tim. If anyone out there has any more info or memories of this group, feel free to email me, and I will include a follow-up to this question in a later segment. Our next question comes from Missy Watts, and she says, Hey Aaron, love the segment. My question, as you put it, I want to know, has to do with Disneyland's Light Magic Parade. I love this parade, and I know it was really short-lived, but is there any place to get the audio from the parade? Well, Missy, I'm glad you love the segment, and all compliments are greatly appreciated. Light Magic was a parade street show that ran at Disneyland from May to September of 1997, originally billed as a replacement for the 24-year-old Main Street Electrical Parade, Light Magic opened to poor reviews and closed four months later. Though Disney officially stated at the time that the show would return in the year 2000, it never did. Despite the show's short run, infrastructure improvements made specifically for Light Magic, particularly in Fantasyland, are still used today. Light Magic was a streetacular with floats moving into two performance zones, one located at the Small World Mall, the other on Main Street. Upon reaching the performance zones, the floats would stop and the pixie characters, who were the focus of the show, would awaken to perform step dancing routines for the audience, later being joined by Disney characters and audience members. During the performance segment, a portion of each of the floats would open to reveal a screen upon which images were projected from equipment hidden in the surrounding buildings. As part of the grand finale, the fairies would use their magic to throw pixie dust, lighting up the buildings with a shower of twinkling lights provided by fiber optics embedded in the structures. Light Magic's music was very Celtic influenced, and some of the songs in the show included, but were not limited to, Little April Shower from Bambi, When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio, Topsy Turvy from The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and the Light Magic theme song, Dream Our Dream, which was later used in 2002 in a show called Minnie's Birthday Surprise at Videopolis Theater in the Disneyland Park in Paris. An interesting fact about Light Magic is the song Baroque Hoedown, used in the finale, was originally from the Main Street Electrical Parade. A partial soundtrack can be found on Disneyland Walt Disney World Music Vacation released in Japan in 1997 and Disneyland Walt Disney World the official album also released in 1997. Unfortunately both are out of print but fear not I have found some great YouTube videos and also the complete soundtrack online. Just search Disneyland Light Magic. This parade really had some great music. Make sure and stay tuned to hear music from the Light Magic later in the show. Our final question this week comes from Elliot Henderson and he says, Yo Disney On Demand, love the show peeps. I had a question about a TV movie when I was a kid called Mr. Boogity and Bride of Boogity. These rocked and made Halloween more fun. Are they available anywhere on DVD? Well, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. Mr. Boogity premiered on Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color on April 20, 1986, 
and Bride of Boogity premiered the following year on April 12, 1987. Mr. Boogity was about a novelty salesman who moves his family into a new house in the fictional town of Lucifer Falls. Initially dismissing incidents as more of their father's practical jokes, the family soon learns that the house is haunted by people who lived in the house 300 years previously. In Bride of Mr. Boogity, Mr. Boogity possesses several people and tries to get them to return his magic cloak to him, with plans to use it again to wreak havoc on the living. But he's also looking to find his beloved Marion, and he'll stop at nothing to get her, even if he has to make a new Marion. After much searching, I found a site, www.raredvds.biz, that sells a disc with both movies on it. And I found both episodes on YouTube on a channel called The God of Mustard. Well, that concludes another segment of I Want to Know. Thanks again for all the great questions. I'm glad everyone likes the new segment. Keep those questions coming in and don't forget to include your name and location with your submission. You can send your questions to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. And I want to invite everyone to check out my recently posted bio on the Disney Radio site. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time, D-Head. and girls, open the window to your dreams as Disneyland proudly presents Light Magic.
era begins for Disney World at Epcot Center. Epcot, that stands for Experimental Prototype Community of Tomorrow. Here's how Walt Disney described his brainchild almost 20 years ago. It will be a community of tomorrow that will never be completed, but will always be introducing and testing and demonstrating new materials and new systems. But Disney's original concept of a controlled community has changed. Epcot is the country's newest entertainment park and the most expensive to build. Sort of a permanent World's Fair, which represents Disney Productions' idea of the past, present, and future. Spaceship Earth, the world's largest geosphere, guides you to future world, Epcot's Dazzler. Five huge pavilions house a combination of films, rides, and special Disney effects. Besides Exxon and General Motors, a number of companies have sponsored exhibits at Epcot. Industry puts up some of the money and lets Disney tell the story. of Epcot World Showcase, a walkthrough travelogue of nine different countries. It's Disney Blues. Disney on demand. Ooh, I thought you were dead. With your host, Jonathan Johnson. What? My dad gave it to me. It shows exactly where we are on the planet. Boop, beep, 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 boop, boop. Was this baby? We'll never be alone. You just tell the man you want to go back to your mother. Now this is one tasty, homemade Dole Whip, all of you D-heads out there. Mighty, mighty tasty. Anyways, I'm back once again. I'd like to thank Aaron and Jamie once again for stopping in as part of the D-team and sharing a little bit of fun, excitement, and more to your magical week here at Diz Radio and Disney On Demand. Thank you guys for stopping in once again. And remember, you can always connect up with the D-team on our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. And also remember to send in all your questions for I Want to Know. Send them off to Aaron. E-R-I-N at DizRadio.com. You can also find that link on our official website in the Bio D Team page. So all of you D-heads, we have lots of fun things on the horizon. We got more coming from the D Team with Lexi and Jason. We also have the Dream Finder. Yes, I am giddy inside. I have Figment out. I am stoked because we have Ron Schneider stopping in here very shortly to talk about being the Dream Finder and all his years of being an improv actor, working at theme parks, and more. So let's just jump right back into a little bit of news hot off the D-Wire before I let you go once again. And how about Disney releasing Oz the Great and Powerful on June 11th with an all-new Blu-ray combo pack and digital as well as on demand. That's right, Disney's Oz the Great and Powerful is going to be hitting Blu-ray on June 11th. Now, Oz the Great and Powerful was a great, fantastic film. It really just got audiences excited about this new re-envisioning of The Wizard of Oz. Now, this is a must-own for any collection on Blu-ray, combo, DVD, digital copy, and more. And Oz the Great and Powerful is going to bring this epic adventure to life. Bright colors, sound, and more. And might I add that, as much as I love Disney's other story of Oz... Wait, what? You don't remember this other story of Oz? 
think way back to Return to Oz from 1985. Fantastic film. You can listen to it in our lifetime of Disney player. Yes, Return to Oz. But anyways, getting back, the DVD and Blu-ray are jam-packed. Now, on June 11th, when this gets released, there's going to be a variety of different things. With the magic of Oz the Great and Powerful with a second screen experience, they're going to have enchanting characters and creatures of Oz, from munchkins to tinkers, good witches, bad witches, and more. And they're going to talk about how all of these were developed for the film. They're going to have the sound of Magical Oz, sleight of hand as Zach Braff is in the puppet theater. There's also the Mariah Carey music video, bloopers, My Journey to Oz by James Franco, Mr. Elfman's musical concoctions, The China Girl, and Suspension of Disbelief, Before Your Very Eyes, From Kansas to Oz, Mila's Metamorphosis, and Walt Disney, The Road to Oz. There's a variety of different features as this is jam-packed. There's a ton of different things. You definitely want to get the Blu-ray for this one. And this is going to be hitting the scene on June 11th, Disney's Oz the Great and Powerful. And stay tuned as we're going to bring you our review of this as we already have a copy in hand to view for all of you D-heads out there. How about something that's a little bit better for children and Disney? Lily Diabetes announced that the global expansion of its initiative, collaboration with Disney Publishing Worldwide, better known as DPW, is going to extend the program internationally based on the success of its initiative in the U.S., which began in 2011. Now, the goal of the program is to bring thoughtful education resources to families of children with diabetes, including a series of custom books co-created by Lily Diabetes and Disney Publishing Worldwide for children of various ages and stages of life who are living with type 1 diabetes. Now the books are available through the Diabetes Healthcare Professionals and they're initially going to be translated and available in over 18 countries. As the Vice President Andrew Hodge has stated, Lily Diabetes' objective is to bring safe family health comfort and big magic to children worldwide with type 1 diabetes. By expanding this collaboration with Lily Diabetes and Disney Publishing, they're hoping to reach even more families who've been impacted by type 1 diabetes, emphasizing on what they can do instead of what they can't do, and offering stories of familiar characters such as Mickey Mouse, his friend Coco, the fun-loving monkey who has diabetes. If you want to find out more about this, you can definitely visit DisneyPublishing.com and Lily Diabetes, that's L-I-L-L-Y, diabetes.com and you know it's a great cause and my heart always goes out to any child who has to suffer with this disease. Now moving back into the parks we announced that Star Wars Weekends was hitting the scene while we were talking on the D-Wire here lately. Well how about Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party? The dates have been released and tickets as well. We have ours, and I hope you do too. Now, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party is a fantastic event from trick-or-treating, special shows, and might I add, as I said this last October during our Halloween editions here, it is my favorite parade. The Booty-You Parade is my absolute favorite. Well, now the dates have been released and tickets as well, so you want to get your hard ticket for this because they do sell out fast. And the dates have been released in September. You're going to be able to catch the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party on the 10th, 13th, 17th, 20th, 24th, 27th, and the 29th. In October, it's going to be on the 3rd, 4th, 6th, 10th, 11th, 14th, 17th, 18th, 20 Let me take a breath. Huh. 22nd, 24th, 25th, 27th, 29th, and 31st, and also on November 1st. Boy, that's a mouthful. But you can find all these dates on the official Walt Disney World website. You can find it on our website and more. But now if you go to Disney.com, you can get your tickets for the Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. 
definitely one you want to check out. Now moving back to the big screen, how about Disney's planes? And everybody is excited for planes to come out. We've talked about Dane Cook, who is going to be part of this, and us being here based in Wisconsin. I do have to say that we are psyched and excited to hit this one up as press because Disney's planes is set to take off at the EAA Air Adventure in Oshkosh. That's right, now kicking off on July 29th through August 4th at the EAA Air Venture. They're going to have Disney's planes. Yes, the animated comedy adventure from the popular film 2006 Cars has the aviation community buzzing. Now, they're going to have a variety of different things with a special preview screening at the Fly-In Theater on Friday night, August 2nd, one week before the movie opens nationwide. Now, they're also going to have a variety of different things that are going to be taking place from the Fly-In Theater, a special preview screening, and Jack Pelton, EAA chairman of the board, says Air Venture is a wonderful family event, and we are thrilled to be part of the ultimate experience with showcasing this preview screening of Disney's planes. Dusty is going to be the real star of Air Venture this year so many ways, and we urge people to make plans to come out to the event. If you want to find out more about the EAA Venture or other different things, stay tuned. We are going to attend this as press here at DizRadio.com, or you can always visit Disney.com slash planes. So all of you D-heads, you know what? We had a couple of other things here on news here this week, but I'm going to let it go. If you follow our blog on our website at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z Radio. There you can find all of our latest news, updates, and more. Everything from First President of Disneyland all the way through Bella Thorne's new book. So there's a variety of different things that you can find there. But we have so much stuff on the horizon here this week. No pun or Epcot fun intended there. But on the horizon, we have Ron Schneider. Yes, the Dream Finder. So before I let you go, I'm going to release the reins to our one and only Lexi here, our D-team member from Down Under. She's going to stop in and talk about more about the one and only Ron Schneider as the Dream Finder. But before I let you go, definitely check out all of our latest blogs, news, posts, and more. And you can always find it at DizRadio.com, D-I-Z-Radio.com. You can also subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Just search Diz Radio. You can also find us on Facebook, AOL Instant Messenger, Twitter, and more. Just search Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. So all of you D-heads, and letting you go, just stopping in here shortly for you, I'm going to release the reins because I am excited. Yeah, I, I'm ready to bust in a song here myself. Imagine. All right, I won't even try. I don't have a singing voice. But anyways, I am excited. Ron stopping in here shortly. Figment is ready in the horizon. So I'll stop my rambling. Be right back, all of you D-heads, and the next time you hear my voice, I'm going to be here with the Dream Finder. Feel alive. The future has a 
The future's a land nobody can doubt. The future is what everything's about. It's better for you, it's better for me. It's better than what everybody thought it would be. It's time to create, time to grow. If you're feeling right. here on a little bit of space in front of the entrance to future world now that beautiful round object behind me right there is an engineering marvel called spaceship earth and that is the symbol of epcot center now inside that eight-story geosphere is walt disney's tribute to the progress of mankind from the earliest crude attempts at communicating to the latest projection of life in outer space. One man who knows a great deal about that is Alan Shepard. He was the first American in space and one of the original astronauts. Alan? Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm delighted I'm to fine. see you again. Good to see you, sir. How do you feel? I'm just fine. Well, it's good. Fine. Back here on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, without, uh, without divulging any classified information, where do you suppose we're headed? I mean, in, in the terms of the future of mankind. Well, I think if you look backward for a moment and trace the progress of civilization, yeah. you'll see that basically there are only two directions we can go. Oh, yeah, up and down, huh? <laughs> right. Either way up in space or down yeah. into the depths of the sea. And, of course, over the years, we've been doing research and experimentation in, in both areas, and I don't think that one necessarily precludes the other. But you might imagine that I hold the view that space is... a uh, it's pretty exciting. It has a great possibility of enhancing our lives in the future. You know, so much of the technology that's being used in the space program has immediate application right here on the Earth. It's yeah. just with us today. I hope you have a fine time around here. There's a lot of marvelous things to see. Maybe well, we'll, we'll see you someday. Okay. So long. this week's special guest, Mr. Ron Schneider, the man behind Dreamfinder and the best friend of our good pal Figman. Now, 
Dreamfinder, as I'm sure most of you know, is one of the characters from the Epcot attraction, Journey into the Imagination. And it was Dreamfinder that created our little dragon figment. It was our special guest, Ron Schneider, that created Dreamfinder. He has written a book about the experience called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder. Critics have labelled it a hilarious and informative insider's view of the themed entertainment business. What a success. I really can't wait to get my hands on a copy of it. The second part of the title reads, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. It really does inspire a sense of intrigue about what working in themed entertainment must be like. For me, the ride Journey into the Imagination is so fantastic. We get to journey through the wonders of our imagination. How cool is that? With a section for each of our senses. I have to admit, when I was in Disney World a few months ago, I wasn't too sure what the attraction was. I assumed it was something like a walkthrough that I might go to on my second day at Epcot if we got time. But thank goodness we entered that big angular building because I absolutely adored the old school charm of Journey into the Imagination. No, it's not the most heart racing or adrenaline pumping ride in Epcot. That would have to be test track for me. <laughs> but I really enjoyed the slow paced and light hearted nature of the ride. It was truly an innocent testament to the imaginations of our much-loved and awe-inspiring Disney Imagineers. We have to remember that without them, Disney wouldn't even exist. This really came through in the Journey to the Imagination ride. Also, we tend to take our own imaginations for granted, assuming that everyone shares something similar and it's an everyday occurrence, but that isn't the case at all. Imagination is a gift, a gift that we should all cherish. I know that this week's special guest, Ron Schneider, certainly appreciates his imagination. Now, the attraction has gone through some renovations over the years, and Dreamfinder's role has changed, but I won't spoil it for you. Go to Epcot and experience it for yourself. I wish I could be there right now. <laughs> now, Ron Schneider is from California and has always had the dream of being part of the Disney family. And what do you know, his dream came true. For a long time, he was part of the Golden Horseshoe Frontierland Review at Disneyland. He got to wear the Peco Bill outfit for years. How awesome! Back in 1982, Ron got to portray the Dreamfinder. Now, Ron hasn't only worked with Disney, he spent a few years at Six Flags and Magic Mountain when he played Professor S.J. Spillikin, the theme park's tricky traveling salesman. I wish I could have seen that. So Ron is a long-time theme park performer and show developer. He got to be a part of the opening of Six Flags Magic Mountain, as well as a part of two earlier area expansions and Ron worked as a guide on the original Universal Studios Hollywood Backlot Tour. That would be so much fun, I can only imagine. Ron was also a manager for the opening of several themed restaurants and an actor at many more. He even managed the first celebrity lookalikes at Universal Studios Florida. Now, I don't know much about that, 
but I'm sure it was an awesome experience. Here's something cool. Run wrote two shows for the first ever Universal Halloween Horror Nights and both acted and wrote the ghost tour script for Orlando's Titanic The Experience. That must have been amazing. He even worked with friends on the original Skull Kingdom crew. Wow! Run is still active in the Orlando area. He's a writer, consultant and performer. I have to say, all Disney family members have impressive stories, but this one is truly special. How fantastic is this? Back in May 2011, Ron Schneider made a surprise cameo appearance at D23's Destination D Walt Disney World. I can only imagine the awesome and exciting vibe. Now, I'm in a funny position this week. I want to tell you all about Ron and the wonderful things I've discovered about him from my research, but I don't want to spoil his autobiography for you. I will say one thing though, having the pleasure of researching Ron this week has been truly delightful. I am loving reading all about the theme park experiences from days gone by. And I have a new appreciation for the Journey Into Your Imagination attraction. I would give anything to be back at Walt Disney World right now and to be reading Ron's autobiography. <laughs> so thank you Ron Schneider. Without you, Disney truly would not be the same. Technology, like a newfound potion, allows us to marvel at mysteries of motion. Water dances where visions begin. Science reveals the life within. I'll wind this dial and time escapes. Watch minerals change to crystal shapes. Let's look at nature at this speed. From germination, then back to seed. Skyrockets soar towards outer space. Imagine yourself in an infinite place. Lights! Camera! Action! It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest! All right, all of you Disney fans, we're back once again for another magical installment of Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. And with us here this week as we take that trip down our magical memories of our life, our history, and our love of Disney, many of you remember a place called Epcot Center. You also remember a place that now is just called Epcot, the big wand over the ball, and it is continuously changing. But the one thing that many of us have fond memories of is the Dreamfinder and Figment. And with us here this week is an author, a man who knows entertainment well. He's also the Dreamfinder himself, 
We're welcoming Ron Schneider here to the show. Welcome once again. Thank you, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here. (laughs) (laughs) It is our pleasure having you on. You know, I mean, many people, uh, you know, as you are well aware of, everybody has great memories of the Dreamfinder and Figment, and that attraction has just... uh, it's been changed and rearranged and moved, and nothing beats the original animatronic Dreamfinder. But I guess before we go into your alter ego, there, I guess uh, what led you down the path of becoming the Dreamfinder? Well, I started out uh, very young. I was uh, born and raised in Southern California uh, back in 1952, and my father did some of the original air conditioning work on Disneyland when it was first being built. So I was at Disneyland the day first day it was open to the public, uh, July 18th, 1955. And uh, was a regular customer there, uh, grew up uh, with a, being a big fan of Disneyland's. And when I was old enough to realize such a thing was possible, I decided that I would like to work there. I'd always been interested in performing and uh, got into puppetry and magic and theater at quite a young age. And, uh, but I was always going back to Disneyland. When Walt passed away, um, it just struck me that what a tremendous effect he'd had on my life. And the next time I was at Disneyland, I thought, you know, there's something going on here that's more than just people going on rides. This is a form of theater, and the guests are the stars. And this began to fascinate me. I started to study how this whole thing worked, and I did all the research I could into how things worked at Disneyland, how the place was designed, how uh, its history worked, and the people, and I would talk to everyone I could about it. And then uh, I went to study acting and directing in college, when I got out of college, um, I started, uh, got my first job at a theme park, was uh, doing wardrobe issue at Disneyland uh, for the Christmas Parade in 1970. And uh, that same year, I saw the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland starring Wally Bogue. And I saw Wally doing his act, which he'd been doing since 1955, and I decided I want to do that. So I spent the next 10 years, from 1970 to 1980, learning everything I could about uh, live performing, so I could do what Wally did. I got jobs at Universal Studios as a tour guide. I was in the opening crew of Magic Mountain, and I was a performer there for five years. And uh, one thing after another, till 1980, Disneyland's 25th anniversary, they were looking for someone to come in and understudy Wally Bogue for the Golden Horseshoe Review, because they wanted to double up on the number of shows they were doing. I auditioned and got the job. So I was hired on at Disneyland in 1980, uh, at the same time, I was working at Universal Studios, working in a themed restaurant up there called Womp Hopper's Wagon Works. And I spent two years going back and forth between the two. When Epcot Center opened, I heard about this new character called Dreamfinder. And when I found out that he was going to be the only Disney character, the new Disney character at Epcot Center, he was going to be the spokesman for the park. And that uh, he, they needed someone who could do puppetry and create characters. And I'd been doing theme park characters for 12 years by that point. Uh, I was able to walk right into the job. Wow, you know, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, it it is a journey. I mean, it's the kind of thing where, like you said, you really wanted it. You wanted to go after it. And it's, it's, I guess it's very indicative of, uh, you know, of having that Disney dream where you knew what you wanted. You went out, you tackled it. And coming to Epcot Center, I mean, that's the thing where Dreamfinder was the spokesperson. I mean, in 82, when that opened, um, you know, you had the grand opening, you had Danny Kaye and all these people. And you know what? You had the Dreamfinder there, and it just basically became a staple from that point on. Now, with the Dreamfinder and, uh, I guess, that entire uh, 
character and that entire uh, feel for the park, I guess, how was it really interacting and knowing that you are the only person that was there to represent Epcot? Uh, it was quite a responsibility, as you can imagine. Um, I had never, I, I had done other signature characters uh, for uh, Magic Mountain and Universal Studios, but uh, I was never so much of a spokesman uh, for any kind of attraction. Uh, also, not only for Epcot, but for Kodak, uh, the corporate sponsor of the pavilion, uh, sent me around and uh, they had a marketing fellow who went with me and helped me uh, learn how to promote Kodak. Uh, but I, I, like you say, I was the first person doing this particular character. And so I got to write the book. Uh, I, with a wonderful character like Dreamfinder, I had a great deal of, as you can imagine, creative freedom. He was a, here's a character that is the spirit of creativity. So I could discuss anything uh, in a very real sense. It wasn't like playing the Mad Hatter who's got a, the Mad Hatter's agenda or being a Disney ambassador who's got a Disney ambassador agenda. I was the dream finder. I could say and do and become anything uh, and so I was free to discuss photography. I was free to discuss Epcot or Walt Disney. Uh, as I would say to the people when I did television interviews, I can discuss anything you want me to talk about except myself. I can't say anything about Ron Schneider. But um, I will, I'll be happy to discuss anything about dragons. I've done all this research into dragons and creativity and so that I would be ready for this uh, situation. And I found going into these spokesperson situations that uh, I was a lot more effective when I let the character drive, when I was this uh, crazy uh, right brain character who was um, – basically it was uh, an extension of what Walt Disney was doing on the old world of color, that I was this encouraging uncle, this fellow who saw, uh, saw wonderful things all around him and saw the value of everybody – and uh, this, this became a wonderful way to promote Epcot Center, which, of course, was a discovery and inspiration park. And so it all came together that way. Well, I mean, and with the Dreamfinder and, uh, you know, and that, I guess, the entire character, like you said, you know, you weren't there to discuss Ron. You were there to be the Dreamfinder. And many people have great memories of the Dreamfinder. And in preparing for this and, and, I guess, tackling this role, and you had this little dragon, um, when it comes to the animatronic and the attraction and being there in the parks, now the one thing that many people, I guess, may or may not know is, you know, you were the Dreamfinder. That was both in the park, in the attraction, singing the music, the entire works. Am I correct? I did part of the soundtrack for the ride, not all of it. Uh, the majority of the ride was actually created by a wonderful comic actor uh, named Chuck McCann, who's very still very active. He did a lot of voiceover work, a lot of uh, cartoon voices. He was very big on television. He was a child's uh, television show host. Uh, and he did a wonderful job of creating the original Dreamfinder voice, which was loosely based on Frank Morgan, who was the voice of the Wizard of Oz. He was the Wizard of Oz in uh, the 1939 MGM movie. Uh, when I came on board, I was working at Disneyland when I heard about it, uh, Dreamfinder, and I contacted a friend of mine who worked at uh, Wed Enterprises, which is now WDI, and I called my friend and I said, can you get me a recording of the Dreamfinder voice? I'm interested in doing this character, and I would like to be able to recreate the voice that's on the ride. So uh, he set me up with a cassette of the first scene in the ride, the turntable scene, and I studied this voice and uh, worked up an impression, uh, an imitation of 
that character. And I left a message on my phone machine when I, after, the day after I got the tape saying, Ron's off on a flight of fancy and won't be back for some time, so leave a message after you hear the tone. And when I got home the next day, 10 people had called and hung up without leaving a message. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if those were all the people from Red Enterprises? Well, it turns out that's who it was. They had me come down to the uh, Glendale offices, and they needed to lay in some lines for the ride that Chuck McCann had not recorded, and they needed someone who could match what he did. And so I laid in particular lines in the ride. I was not the entire ride. I didn't sing the songs. But, for example, I was the dream finder who was on the camera crane at the end of the ride, and I was one of the couplets in the realm of science. I said, skyrocket, soar towards outer space. Imagine yourself in an infinite place. And after the uh, park opened, whenever they needed the Dreamfinder voice, I was the official voice of the character. Well, I mean, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, you covered your talent and you covered your skills where it matched so seamlessly that, I mean, like I said, even to this day when I was researching it, I mean, I was convinced that you were the entire Dreamfinder the entire time. And, um, you know, that going into the parks, though, makes that believability that much more. So when people are meeting you outside that pavilion and, uh, you know, hanging around with you and interacting you know, you brought that character to life, and, uh, you know, I mean, I have to say, I have my own fond memories, and I think I have a photo of probably me with you back in probably 80, maybe 1983, 84, and, uh, you know, it, it definitely does bring it to life. Now, um, I guess with the Dreamfinder, that's going to segue into the book, of course, and, uh, you know, what you've currently done and, you know, you have your current book, which is From Dreamer to Dreamfinder. I guess what really made you want to, you know, write a memoir and start this entire path and journey for, I guess, to share with all of us Disney fans? Well, it goes back to uh, the time when I was just a fan and was fascinated with the live, the, the process of live interactive performance. Going back to my teens, um, there was nothing written about how to do that and how it worked. And I saw some of the shows, and I thought some of the shows were terrific, and some of the shows weren't so good, and some of the performers were naturals, and some of the performers were just okay. And I wanted to learn how that worked. I was fascinated with the interactive one-on-one -on -one performance with the guests. I read very early on uh, in the 70s something, I think it was written by uh, Van France, who was in charge of all the training for Disneyland. He said, um, there's nobody, no parents raise their kids to work in a theme park, and there's no college that teaches how to do this. And when I read that, I realized that I wanted to study that, and I wanted to learn how that worked. And as I got further and further into it, I realized that someday I wanted to write this stuff down that I was learning. I spent 40 years in themed entertainment for Disney and Universal, about a half dozen themed dinner shows, lots of interactive events. And the whole time I was a student of what I was doing and every job I had, I used, I used to last than a job maybe five or six years before I was ready to move on. And I wanted to gather this body of knowledge. Uh, I was never a collector of Mickey Mouse or Disney animation cells. I was always trying to learn, gain knowledge, read books and learn as much as I could about that creative process. And it became a, a goal of mine eventually that I was going to write this stuff down, that I was going to pass what I was learning about themed performance onto other performers and onto other people who want to become other performers because they're 
There are a couple books about interactive acting, and there's a lot of books about improv, but this particular form of performance where you're working in a corporate environment and you've got to put these characters across one-on-one -on -one with the guests, but you have to do it consistently because they're paying a lot of money to see these shows. It's not improv. It's all carefully prepared, and you're, but you have to give the illusion that it's something that's never happened before with the guest. And so I was going along, and I, the thought was always in the back of my mind to write a book. Back in 19, uh, sorry, 2007, it was the 25th anniversary of Epcot Center, and I did a presentation about my career for the NFFC, and uh, Jim Hill was in the audience, and he heard me talk about my career and about the things I'd learned, and he pulled me aside and he said, that's a book. And he's the one who started me thinking about doing a book seriously. I started a blog called From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, and I just eventually got around to just setting down what I had done chronologically. I went back after that part was finished, and I fleshed everything out, and I started working on a textbook aspect to it that would communicate the ideas and the principles that I'd learned. And finally, that led to the book, From Dreamer to Dreamfinder, A Life and Lessons Learned in 40 Years Behind a Name Tag. And uh, the book's been out now for uh, almost a year. It's been pretty successful. Well, I mean, and it is a fantastic way to put it all down. And, you know, not just, I guess, a manual and a way to look at things that way. It's also a way to look back at your own memoirs. And, you know, it has a lot of great aspects to it. Like you said, the you know, five keys to great themed entertainment, you know, working with lookalikes. I mean, there's a lot of great things, you know, in, I guess for me. The important one is improvisation at the theme parks. I guess when you're looking at the book and, you know, people want to learn about this, um, you know, I guess what is the hardest part of improv at the theme parks? That's something that I've always wondered is, you know, you hit so many people in such a short span of time throughout the day. I guess how hard is it to learn that interacting, whether it was at Universal, at Disney? I, I guess what is one key that it really makes it flow really well when you're out there, you know, on the spot, on the go, trying to make that memorable moment with a guest? The most important skill we have is the, the ability to create the miracle of the first time. That's the, that's the real uh, discipline of performing in theme parks is that you're going to be doing the same show over and 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 over again. And every time you have to keep it fresh. This is what I so admired uh, when I watched Wally Bogue at the Golden Horseshoe Review. That was the longest running live stage show in the history of the world. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. They would do five and ten shows a day doing the same jokes, singing the same songs, but it always seemed fresh. And so that skill is, uh, is, is, is the most important thing that you can learn as a performer. Back in the days of vaudeville and burlesque, this is something that all performers had. But nowadays, uh, the only place that you really get this kind of training and this kind of experience is in the theme parks. They're pumping people through. Millions of people are coming through there every year. And they all are expecting a quality show, and they all expect it to be fresh. Now, you're not going to be, obviously, you're not going to be improvising constantly with these people. But the thing about it is that people react to the same stimulus the same basic way. When they meet the Dream Finder and Figment, there's a limited number of ways people are going to react to something like that. There's going to be five or six different ways that anyone's going to react to meeting a strange old guy with a purple dragon. And once you learn what those five or six different ways are, and you've come up with two or three different ways of reacting to each one of those ways, 
it becomes a matter of simply cycling through that. Now, this means not to say that you know, spontaneous things didn't happen, but when I sp- was out there with the guests, I had to be on the ball. I had to make sure that whatever the guest threw at me was something that I had a solid, entertaining response for and that I delivered it in a fresh, spontaneous, appearing way. And that was the real skill of what I did. Well, I guess I guess with that too, um, you know, going back to Figment and the Dreamfinder and doing that and making that magical moment, like like you said, it is that uh, that first impression. And I remember going back, and I think I was probably ten. You know, I'm at Epcot, and I thought it was, you know, I remember the Dreamfinder. It was one of those things that stuck with me, like I said, and for all these years. And I guess when looking back at those stories, is there one or two? Uh, I guess, moments that really stick out in your head as memorable moments uh, meeting park guests as a dream finder? Well, there's a lot of them. uh, And I got to meet a lot of wonderful people and a lot of very famous people. Uh, The story that I keep coming back to uh, is the story. uh, I was uh, coming off of one set. It was in the afternoon. I was working upstairs in the image works and I was heading towards my uh, dressing room. I was about five feet from the dressing room door and uh, broke through one crowd of people, and there was this little child looking up at me, about five or six years old, just staring up at me, his eyes as big as saucers. And I looked around. There were no other kids around, so I figured I could stop and take a moment to talk to him, and I knelt down, and I introduced him to uh, Figment, and we talked for a little while. And the whole time, he, he never said a word. He just stared with his mouth hanging. And finally, when I finished, I stood up and I said, well, I got to go now. Goodbye. And he said, bye-bye, Jesus. Bye-bye, Jesus. And he's got tears pouring down his eyes. And everyone around me is laughing hysterically. And it took me forever to tear myself away. And, uh, you know, the, the impression we have on people is just amazing. Um, but the, the most fun moments for me uh, on a regular basis was uh, I loved when I got to the pavilion first thing in the morning. You know, I I usually came on, say, about 30 minutes after Epcot opened. And by that time, not a lot of people had reached the journey into imagination. They were still coming in and filtering through the attraction. So I would uh, come out to the, um, the garden area where the leapfrog fountains were, and there weren't a lot of people around there. Uh, and I would uh, wait for the monorail to come by. Because the people, the monorail, the people in the monorail would all be getting their first view of Epcot Center. They'd never seen anything like it before. And as they went by, they'd see Dreamfinder and Figment down in the garden area waving at them. And to watch their looks on their faces as they rode by in the monorail was wonderful. Or I'd go into the uh, image works where you had the magic palettes where people could draw on the video screen, which was a big deal back then. Now, of course, we, everyone's got that on their cell phones. But there'd be a kid drawing, drawing a picture of Dreamfinder on the on the screen and I just come up behind them and watch him quietly for a moment and then finally I just turn to Figma and say he's very good isn't he and then the child would turn around and they'd just come off the ride and now there they are standing in front of me and uh, the effect this had was just uh, amazing. Well, I mean, and those are the kind of memories that really stick with somebody. You know, like you said, there's so many that you come across. And those are the things where I'm sure, you know, these individual people, that story has stuck with them. So as much as you're telling this story, I can guarantee they're going to say, you know, there was this time I was at Epcot and my parents told me, and you know, and I said, hey, Jesus, you know, it's it's the kind of thing where it's going to be the shared story, um, you know, that's going to be a common denominator that people are going to hear, 
you know, from time to time. And having that kind of impact just really has to have a good feeling, which is going to segue into, you know, the Dreamfinder and Figment, uh, you know, have continued to be a staple of Epcot. Everybody loves the characters. The attraction, when it got changed, there was this big, you know, a revolt with Disney fans saying, bring back, you know, the original attraction. And now they're trying to tweak that again and again. But that's going to bring me to, you know, the warm reception that you got at D23. I guess, how did that come about? Because that's something where nobody ever thought it would ever happen. And then it did. And I swear there were people crying and, you know, uh, we were there for that. And that's the kind of thing where I think it was just, uh, you know, it was that kind of thing, that kind of moment in Disney history where it meant something to, I like to say, the the new generation of Disney fans. You have people who grew up with Mickey Mouse Club and those moments with Annette and the new Mouseketeers and items like that. But seeing the Dreamfinder and Figment again for my generation, I think, lived up to that kind of uh, that kind of moment. It amazed me as well. I never thought it was going to happen either. <laughs> a friend of mine who uh, works uh, for D- does work for D23 and works in the archives came to me almost a year in advance of that and said, uh, we'd like to bring uh, Dreamfinder uh, back for the uh, uh, 40th anniversary of Epcot. We're going to do our 40th anniversary of Walt Disney World. We're doing this concert uh, the last Part of the whole weekend is going to be this concert of Disney music, and we're going to have Richard Sherman there. And we want to surprise Richard and everyone else by having the Dreamfinder come out and sing One Little Spark with him. And uh, he, the second he told me this, I said, it'll never happen. There's no way they're going to let you get away with this. I said, it's a wonderful sentiment. It's a great idea, and I'd love to be a part of it, but there's no way the company's going to let you do this. Uh, the company had, while well, they had continued to make pins of Dreamfinder and Figment, they were very careful to, um, uh, to to kind of divorce themselves from Dreamfinder. Part of the reason for that was because Dreamfinder and Figment were considered Kodak characters. Uh, and another part of the reason was that there was a, uh, there's a, a faction of people who have been campaigning to bring back Dreamfinder and have not been very subtle or very pleasant about it. Uh, they've been creating, a, had been creating a lot of stink, which had created a lot of ill will within the company. And um, so I was certain that this thing would never happen. But this friend of mine was very persistent, and he worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. And uh, slowly this thing came together. We, uh, uh, the costume was made uh, on the sly. Nobody, nobody knew what we were up to. It was only discussed at the very top reaches of the company. They knew what we were doing, but nobody at Disney World had any idea what we were up to. My friend snuck around like crazy, and he managed to find the, uh, the wig, beard, and mustache, and we managed to find a figment puppet, and uh, we had fittings for the costume off-site and everything like this. When it came the day to do it, um, nobody, I mean, I was there, and I was running into friends of mine, and I saw Jim Hill and, and, uh, and Jeff Lang and all my friends. Nobody knew what we were up to. Only the stage manager for the event knew what we were up to. And um, when I showed up at the rehearsal before the room opened and got up on stage and just did the Dreamfinder voice, wasn't even in costume, the response in the room was electric. And uh, we, uh, when we walked out on that stage, it was amazing. It's 2,000 people up on their feet. And like you say, there were people crying. The whole front row was Tony Baxter and Marty Sklar and Bob Gurr. And all these people who had built Walt Disney World and Epcot Center, they had no idea what was coming. 
and um, it was just the most wonderful uh, culmination to a career anybody could possibly ask for, and uh, very, very emotional. Well, you know, and like I said, that's the kind of thing where, I mean, keeping it under wraps like that probably really had to be, I guess, hard, because, you know, as you're doing this, and like you said, you found a figment puppet in in the wig and the whole works, and it's the kind of thing where you had to be just as giddy inside as everybody else finding out that this was happening. So it had to be hard to keep under wraps. Uh, I was having too much fun with it. I, I really, it wasn't that hard. I did, um, I'll confess that I did tell one person. And that one person was there that day. And in spite of all the security precautions, that one person managed to videotape my appearance. And has, it's still up on YouTube. If you go to, if you do a search for Dreamfinder D23, you can see a uh, video, a pretty good video this guy shot from the audience of uh, me and Figment on stage with uh, uh, Richard Sherman. So I'm, I'm very pleased that I let that slip there. Well, you know, and I guess being on stage too, that's going to segue into, you know, being there with Richard Sherman. I mean, I've had my chance to talk with both Sherman brothers many times, fantastic musicians. Um, You know, I mean, right here in the studio, we have a fantastic uh, inscription from them to us. And, you know, I guess being associated as the dream finder, right, with that song that is a true Sherman Brothers song. Is that the kind of thing where, you know, you said, you know, you didn't really sing the music or anything, but, uh, you know, come on, you can you can tell us. I'm sure you've you've broken into character and sang that song many times uh, before. Right. There's another there's another video up on YouTube of me singing one little spark in It's a Small World. Because even Richard Sherman doesn't didn't realize this uh, when I met him. Uh, it's a small world, and one little spark are a perfect counterpoint to each other. Along with along with Happy Birthday, by the way, uh, they all harmonize beautifully. So uh, I was uh, with my friend Jeff Lang riding through a small world at Disneyland, and he's got a video. It's up on YouTube now of me uh, riding through It's a Small World, singing One Little Spark. See, I knew I knew that it couldn't uh, shy away from you too much. Now, um, I guess moving away from Dreamfinder and Figment, uh, I, I guess I'll get back to that at some point. But, um, you know, moving aside, you said you've worked in the entertainment industry for so long, from everything from Universal to Disney. Um, you know, I guess for other stories other than Dreamfinder and Figment, I guess what are some of the memorable uh, characters, roles, places uh, that you've worked at a Aside from that, because as much as we all love Disney and that aspect of your career, uh, you know, you have so many more levels. So I guess, uh, is there any one of those that really calls out to you that you'd like to share with us? I had um, six wonderful years working on and off for Magic Mountain in California. I was on the opening crew first uh, uh, on the Grand Prix, uh, which is their version of the Autopia. Uh, this, this fella came through putting a microphone in microphones in all the uh, queue areas for the rides. And when he did that, I watched some of those microphones and that's where I forgot my first experience talking for a living in the theme parks. And I would, uh, I first, I, I took a lot of material from Disney at first, but eventually I developed my own and I created, uh, ride narration spiels for uh, most of the rides at Magic Mountain back in the, uh, it's opening summer of 1971. 1972, they opened a children's animal farm, which uh, they wanted someone to be the old man of the mountain who was seated on the por- this old porch of an old, uh, an old rundown shack with affection trained animals. And I got to spend the entire summer with a full-grown African. 
American Lion. Uh, his name was Major, and he was actually the star of a Disney film. He starred in uh, Napoleon and Samantha, which was Jodie Foster's first film when she was quite young. And I spent the summer on the porch of that house at Magic Mountain, um, posing for pictures and taking care of Major and the other animals at the farm. Uh, so that was a one-of-a-kind experience that you could only get at a theme park. I uh, went away for a few years as a Universal Studios tour guide, uh, which was a dream come true for me doing the, this back when the tour was all there was. There were no rides at Universal Hollywood. Uh, it was just a two-and-a-half-hour tram tour, and you would do two or three tours a day. Uh, I had a ball doing that. It was every bit as wonderful as, I, as I'd hoped it would be. And then went back to Magic Mountain for um, four years as Professor Samuel J. Spillikin uh, at Spillikin Corners Crafts Village. I was a traveling salesman. Uh, Wally Bogue was doing a traveling salesman character at Disneyland, and when I heard they were looking for a traveling salesman character at Magic Mountain, I thought this is perfect training. So I was at Magic Mountain selling Grandma Spillikin's Herbal Cure and Indian Elixir. Uh, and I did a medicine pitch there for four years, uh, 12 shows a day on the streets out there, and we did a lot of other uh, vaudeville-style entertainment. Uh, I worked with a wonderful crew of very, very funny people. Also, I worked at a, a theme restaurant called 1520 AD Medieval Restaurant in Los Angeles and San Diego, uh, playing Henry VIII. That was my first uh, theme dinner show, and I love theme dinner shows. I love doing the two-hour shows where the audience is sitting down having dinner, and you can tell a real story and get them involved in what you're doing. I've done half a dozen of those through the years. Um, also, I was discovered at Magic Mountain when I was doing the medicine pitch. Uh, the president of Universal Studios saw me. They were opening a new theme restaurant at Universal called Womp Hopper's Wagon Works, which was a $3 million uh, country western themed establishment themed after a uh, wagon factory, an old wagon factory and themed around the character of this man who was a used wagon salesman. He was a real crook, a real scoundrel, which is kind of the character I was doing at the Magic Mountain. So uh, they hired me to come over to Womp Hoppers, and I was creative manager at Womp Hoppers. We had a real crew of very, very funny, talented people there uh, to kind of theatricalize the whole environment there. And at the same time that I was working at Disneyland in the Golden Horseshoe Review, I was creative manager at Womp Hoppers Wagon Works. I uh, left both of those in 82 to go to Epcot Center. When I left Epcot Center in 87, uh, I opened a theme dinner show in Kissimmee, working with Robert Earl, who had King Henry's Feast, and the Hard Rock Parks, uh, the Hard Rock uh, Restaurants, and uh, Planet Hollywood. We opened a theme restaurant in Kissimmee called Fort Liberty, which was another theme dinner show, a uh, Wild West-type show. I did another traveling salesman character. But we had uh, uh, real performing Indians and variety acts, uh, that was quite a successful show. Uh, I did some freelance writing. I did some stand-up comedy for a while. I wrote for Chuck E. Cheese for two years. And uh, then when Universal Studios opened up out here in uh, Orlando, I was uh, creative manager for the Celebrity Lookalikes and uh, got to hire and train and write for the Marx Brothers and Laurel and Hardy and the Blues Brothers and Mae West and W.C. Fields and Beetlejuice uh, did that for a year and a half, and then I was kind of kicked upstairs, and I did all the writing for the attraction for the for the first for the first three years. I did a lot of street shows. I wrote all the shows for the first Halloween Horror Nights, um, and uh, left that in '93. Uh, uh, did a lot of theater in town uh, with uh, Orlando Shakespeare Theater and uh, different performing groups. I wound up going back up. To, I went up to Canada. 
for a couple of years. We did a theme dinner show up at the Banff Springs Hotel, the Castle in the Rockies, uh, one of the uh, Canada's historic hotels, portraying the man who built the hotel and built the Canadian Pacific Railroad through the Rockies. And I was there for a couple of years, and I came back to Orlando in um, 2000 and got hired in at Titanic the Exhibition. I did six years there uh, as an actor guide for the attraction, which was a wonderful job. I was a storyteller. I was an actor. I was a docent in the museum. And I learned a great deal about storytelling and uh, portraying historical characters. Uh, that was a tremendous challenge. I loved doing that, and I did that for six years. Well, I mean, and these are all the different kinds of things that, you know, you've done so much more than the Dreamfinder. And that's why I just think it's really, uh, you know, it's really a good thing where, uh, you know, people really need to check out your book because all the topics that you just talked about from Universal and, you know, doing Titanic and everything throughout your career is all tackled in this book. I mean, you really went through and, uh, you know, really made great notations throughout your entire book here. And, you know, I mean, I was going to ask you about a variety of things and you, you've already tackled it. So it's like, you know, there's so, there's so much stuff here now, um, you know, with that, you know, being in Florida and Orlando and always changing, um, I guess that's going to lead me to, you know, uh, I guess being in that area and all the excitement and all the entertainment. Have you ever thought of just, uh, I guess, starting something of your own being right there in the heart of all the magic? It's, um, it's, it's kind of hard. I've always, I've always focused on the creative end of things and I haven't really had the head for business. Um, so I've always kind of kept my head down, uh, and focused on the creative and the live performing aspect of things. Uh, I have a concept. Uh, there's a young lady, she's actually based up in New Jersey and we're talking, uh, seriously about doing a theme dinner show uh, down here in Orlando uh, it's probably at least a year away if it's going to happen. Um, that would be, um, actually it's kind of a satire of the, uh, Disney and universal experience. You know, if you go online now and you look around, there's a lot of people doing some very clever satire about theme parks and, uh, live performance and the characters and what they're like when they're off stage. And our show that we have in mind is more of an atmosphere than a show is that kind of satire on uh, Disney character dining or atmosphere characters. It would be a place where the characters uh, could kind of let their hair down and let you see what it's like behind the scenes. Still in character, but um, with more of a uh, – like I, I like to think of it as Disney quality but with a universal edge. I, I think that that's a – I don't know how to put it. I, I guess uh, I'm at a loss for words, but I know exactly what you're saying, where it's going to have that that little bit of a spark, a flare, a kick that Universal has, but have the quality, the performance, and the, uh, I guess, the technique of a solid Disney uh, production. That sounds, sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> now, um, you know, with with all of this going on and so many different things and you have your book and so much stuff, I guess that's going to lead me to uh, – all right, I was going to ask you one other thing, but you know what? I'm going to backtrack a second here. Let's get uh, – let's you know, people are asking me here while we're talking about – ask about figment and a couple of things here. So uh, you said that they found a figment puppet. How many figments do you actually own? Oh, uh, actually not very many. Um my, the collection that I had uh, through the years has kind of uh, fallen away, 
And uh, I only have, I'd say, maybe a, a five or six. Uh, I've got a bunch of pins. Um, but I, I've never been, like I said, I never was a much of a, uh, a collector of, um, of character merchandise. I always swore I would never, ever own a Vinylmation. I think they're ugly. But then one of my fans uh, took me to lunch and presented me with a Dreamfinder Vinylmation, and, uh, which I'm delighted to have, mind you. Uh, there was also this, uh, this uh, figment collectible that looks like a bowling pin. Uh, frankly, I think it's the ugliest thing in the world, but, uh, again, it was a gift from a, a fan and I'm delighted to have that too. Uh, I've got, um, I've got one of the, uh, figment, uh, arm puppets that they sold to the guests, I think is floating around the backseat of my car, which is not the healthiest place to be. And, um, uh, I, I no longer have the figment puppet that we used for the, uh, uh, D23 event. Um, I pass that on to uh, Tony Baxter, and uh, I believe he has that now, although I'm not exactly sure where it is, to tell you the truth. Um, but uh, if, if I ever get homesick for the dragon, all I have to do is raise my left arm into that horribly uncomfortable position <laughs> that I carried him in for five years, and believe me, he's right there. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's the it's the kind of thing where, you know, people are always wondering how many are you going as crazy? And, and, and I have to agree with you. I'm not one for Vinylmation either. I just, there's something about it. But, you know, uh, I got the Dreamfinder one. I have a Figment one. And, of course, the Haunted Mansion. So in some, some odd way, you kind of get suckered into these things, you know? That's the word. Yes. You know, uh, aside from doing this, you know, my day job is advertising and marketing. So, uh, yeah, I, I like to use the word suckered into it now i guess uh you know i guess moving forward i guess what are you doing now uh, i guess your current you know what's going on now what's in the works um you know what's on your agenda or what do you have planned for the you know next uh, year or upcoming year if anything um i've got a new blog uh that's kind of uh started as an intention to kind of build on the textbook aspects of the book uh it's called theme park university uh, I've got a very talented and knowledgeable partner in this effort, uh, Josh Young. Uh, his uh, experience, my experience has all been in the creative and performing end of things. His experience has all been in the business and financial and operational side of things. And uh, so between us, we got about 60 years of experience doing this. Uh, we are, we've been very close friends for a long time. We've we kind of met being uh, mutual fans of Disney trivia, and um, we get it. We get into these very heated debates about uh, the operational versus the creative, the pixie dust versus the bottom line. And um, we did a couple of presentations. Uh, spoke at a friend of mine was teaching a class on Disney, and got such a wonderful response that we decided to go into a, a blog together. It's called ThemeParkUniversity.com. Uh, I stumbled on a wonderful young lady. She did a uh, drawing of the Dreamfinder that she posted on Facebook, and I just fell head over heels in love with this girl. Her name is Emma Levert. She's based up in Atlanta. She's um, quite young, and she's got this magnificent eye for graphics and caricature. And uh, so we brought her in. She did our, our banner on our web page, and she does graphics for our, our, our articles. And um, so she's kind of a third uh, third partner in this. 
And uh, so I, I, he posts, uh, Josh posts wonderful, he's doing a wonderful series right now on the Hard Rock Park, which was open for only about four months in Myrtle Beach, but was a magnificent theme park. And he's done this incredible amount of research. Uh, I think he's on chapter 10 now of uh, the series of articles about the history of this incredible project. And he's got a lot more coming about other theme parks. And he's fascinated in, with any aspect of the operational side of it. I've been taking more of a tongue-in-cheek aspect. I've done a couple of satire articles. I did an interview with um, the, the computer that writes bad theme park shows, the Hackmeister 2000. And I did a, um, I've been doing reviews of some of the theme park shows, both the good and the bad. Uh, since I'm no longer affiliated with the companies, um, I'm kind of taking the opportunity to say to people, look, this is how things really are, uh, and all is not sweetness and light, and these, th these shows uh, can be done a lot better than we're doing them. My purpose in doing this is not to uh, alienate any of my friends who are in these shows, believe me, um, or to even try and get the shows to be better or to critique the people who are producing them. But I'm addressing these articles to the people who are out there who want to write these shows in the future and want to learn more about how this thing works. And so I'm using uh, the uh, critiques of the shows and of the industry and the different attractions that I'm writing about as an opportunity to constructively analyze and critique the shows and to demonstrate how this process works and how the good stuff can be good and the bad stuff is and it's sometimes pretty bad. And like you said, since you're not, I guess, affiliated with them anymore, this is your chance to really give an, an insight. And it's not really bashing or anything like that. It's more of taking your knowledge, taking what you know, and now you don't have to candy coat it anymore. And hopefully in the long run, you'll help the industry as a whole. That's what I'm hoping. <laughs> well, you know, I, you, you know, you have so much. I mean, so much tackle in your book and your career and so much in the entertainment field. You know, I don't want to keep you too long. I know it's late, uh, you know, but before we let you go, for all the people that are DreamFinder fans, Figment fans, and fans of Ron, I guess, uh, what are some words of wisdom, maybe something you can leave with them, uh, you know, from Ron and also from the DreamFinder? <laughs> well, the thing that stuck with me my whole life as a, a, a quote that I use all the time from Richard Bach's book, Illusions. I read this in high school when I was uh, just getting started in theme parks. He had a quote in there saying, we are never given a dream without being also being given the power to make it come true. You may have to work for it, however. And when I read that, I just started to weep because it was like the universe was saying to me, you can do this. Whatever it is, that you want to do in your heart of hearts, you can do this. It's possible. And at the time I read that, I had no clue. I had no clue. I just knew suddenly this was the light coming on at the, uh, at the end of the tunnel. And so I had a, I had a direction. I had uh, a purpose in my life, something to move toward. And it's proved to be true. Every, all, I, all I wanted at that time when I read that was to be Wally Bogue at the Golden Horseshoe Review. And 10 years later, I was there. 10 years later, I had that. And then that uh, another window opened. And then another window opened. And I kept moving much farther than I ever thought I would. And anybody can do this. You know, they, the old quote is, follow your bliss. And if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. 
And it's all true. It's it's all true, folks. Uh, from from me and Dreamfinder, that's the best thing I can pass on to you. And that is that your your dreams are achievable. Uh, when you get there, sometimes it's not as pretty as you think. But uh, the other piece of advice I'll give you is about working in the theme parks. Uh, somebody asked me one time about uh, somebody said, a young lady said to me that she all her life she wanted to work at Disneyland, and she'd heard that it wasn't nearly as much fun or as wonderful as she had hoped it would be. And I said, well, you got to understand something. People are people. And uh, supervisors are supervisors. And sometimes the work is a grind. And some people are ugly. And sometimes there's people who will undermine you and undercut you and jerk you around. And when you go to Disney, you know, they give you this training, this uh, traditions training, which is wonderful. Used to be wonderful. Now it's primarily legal fall to all. They used to give you this uh, a dose of pixie dust. And the pixie dust would last you for like six months before you head to the next training program. But now the pixie dust they give you is has been cut with milk sugar and chalk. It doesn't last as long. You have to make your own pixie dust. If you're going to last in this business, you have to manufacture your own pixie dust and you have to apply it liberally every day before you go into work. It can be a wonderful job to do. It can be a wonderful place to work. And you see those employees all the time. When you go to the park, you see these cast members who do this. They're the people who are having a wonderful time. And because of them, you're having a wonderful time. And the people who go out of their way for you. These are the people who make their own pixie dust. They don't wait for the company to issue it to them. Because the company doesn't always come across the way we might like to. And the way Walt Disney may have wanted us to. But it's still a magical place. People bring their hearts and and their, their wishes. And... It's a terrific thing to be a part of making those wishes come true. And I'm very lucky. I've been able to touch the lives of millions and millions and millions of people. And I, my picture is in photo books all over the world. And I'm so grateful for all these people whose lives I've touched and for the way that they've touched my life. And uh, you can do the same, whether your field is theme parks or whatever field you want to go into, folks. If you can dream it, you can do it. As Walt Disney never said. I mean, great words of wisdom. I I couldn't agree with you more. It's the it, it truly is. You have to make it happen for yourself. You have to love it. Your you know, and, and really just find that bit of happiness over and over again and really make it work. And you know, it is our pleasure having you on, stopping in, like you said, touching the lives of so many people over the years. I mean, like I said, myself, I, I even have a picture of myself when I was younger with my siblings uh, pictured right there with you. I'll have to shoot that to you so you can see it. And uh, it, it truly is an honor speaking with you. Everybody should check out your book. Um, you know, I guess before we let you go, where can they get that book too? I, you can, of course, you can find it on Amazon. We've got it on Kindle, paperback, hardcover. There's an audible book where I read the whole thing to you. Uh, and if you'd like to get a personally autographed copy, you should go to bamboofortpublishing.com. You can order it through them and I will send you an autographed copy uh, direct to your home. Um, but uh, it's also on uh, Barnes & Noble and Goodreads. It's all over the place. Fantastic. Well, like I said, Ron, it was our pleasure having you on. Definitely, everybody, all you listeners, check out his book, you know, From Dreamer to Dreamfinder. Fantastic read. Check it out. We'll post all the links on our website as well. And uh, it was an honor having you on once again. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we haven't heard the last of uh, Ron or maybe another book. Uh, check out your new website or uh, maybe see you don the Dreamfinder costume once again. Oh, we can all hope. <laughs> 
Thank you, Jonathan. Long before the old Model T, round about the turn of the century, folks discovered a barrel of fun, taking pictures by the light of the sun. Smile, hug, look at the camera, hold your breath and say cheese. Cheese, little did they realize back then they were making memories. are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC-82. Confirmed. 
Hey gang, welcome back down to the vault. We're gonna go down a little bit deeper. Well, in some aspects, because I am so thrilled to know who is right up above me. The Dreamfinder himself. You know, there were days that I would wander Epcot. Well, the many times that I've wandered Epcot Center. Yes, we will still add the center to this fine place we call home. And I imagined always running into the Dreamfinder and Figment right behind him. But the one thing that was always behind him was Magic Journeys, or you had Captain EO. But eventually that filled the home into Journey into the Imagination was Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. And what a better way to say thank you, Dreamfinder, for all the dreams you've helped uh, create, conjure, and inspire, that we're going to actually dig into the vault and pull out the 89 classic, and that is... A classic film indeed, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Every suburb needs a little bit of fun, and why not here? Imagine, if you will, having a neighbor who could do anything, at least in his mind, do anything right. That's what Russ Thompson thinks as he's living next door to Wayne Zielinski, founder, inventor, imagineer of the year. But the difference is... Wayne loves to build, tinker, and create. Russ, on the other hand, just thinks he's crazy and wishes all of his inventions would stop being made. Russ's irritation goes so deep that it starts to bother him as he's getting ready for their annual camping trip with his sons, Ron and little Russ, or Russ Jr. Focusing in next door, the Zelenskys have a little bit of a different idea of the American dream. Amy, the daughter of the home, is a typical daughter and cannot wait for the upcoming dance. Nick, on the other hand, well, wants to follow in Dad's footsteps and only dreams to become the inventor his father is. The only thing that Wayne dreams of is two things. One, to get his inventions to work properly. Two, to bring the family back together, since he and his wife Diane had just recently separated. Whereas the Thompsons may be preparing for a vacation, the Zelenskys are doing something different. Wayne's getting ready to go to a conference where he's hoping to gain some funding for a new invention he's creating, a shrink ray. The difference in this shrink ray, it doesn't exactly shrink. It more like explodes the things it's supposed to get a little bit smaller. Shunned and humiliated, Wayne walks off knowing that the machine isn't going to work. Back in the neighborhood, Ron's out playing a little bit of ball, and, of, and it goes through the Zelensky's attic window, activating the machine that does only one thing. Explode. With a little bit of brotherly bickering, little Russ and Ron go up to the Zelensky home, where Nick and Amy answer. They, of course, ask to get their ball back. Nick and Amy see no problem with that, and allow them to go upstairs to fetch the ball. Of course, still not knowing that a certain machine is activated. The sensors go off and immediately the laser beam is attracted to them and are shrunk to a quarter of an inch high. Wondering where they are, Nick and Amy decide to go and check in on them and they too are shrunk and this is where the fun begins. Still feeling rejected but never to show it to his kids, Wayne returns home and in doing so goes to the only place he can find solace, the attic. And as luck would have it, the machine turns itself off just as he's getting into the attic, never knowing that Nick 
Amy, Russ, and Ron are now a quarter of an inch high. Seeing the machine also makes him realize how angry he is and destroys the machine. Unfortunately, not knowing, his kids can see him doing it and at that point realize there may be no hope of ever returning to their full size. After his tirade of anger, he sweeps up his mess, including the children, and throws them outside. Now there are two goals for the kids. One, to return home and get Wayne's attention, and two, to return to normal size. Nick puts on his scientific thinking cap and realizes that the only person that may be able to hear them is their dog, Quark. Nick begins to lure Quark towards them, however it's the Thompson's cat who scares him back into the house. And if that weren't enough, Nick and Russ are soon picked up by a gigantic bee, which at that point Nick falls off the bee, falling into a flower and is now separated from Amy and Ron. Now it's up to the two groups to get back together, get to the house, and get back to their normal size. What a long day! If the day couldn't get any worse, the elder Russ, or Father Thompson, has to start making up stories because it's time to leave for their annual trip. Russ lies to Don and tells him that the boys are grounded. Back next door, Wayne still puts on his thinking cap wondering where everybody is. After a short time, deduces that he knows exactly what's happened to the kids and tries to search for them, trying not to harm anything in the backyard. However, in his klutzy way, in doing so, accidentally turns on the sprinkler systems, causing a flood, at least to our, our backyard adventurers. This flood creates pools of mud that Amy is soon knocked into. Nearly drowning, young Russ pulls her out and has to perform CPR to bring her back to life. Which usually means in some some of our fine Disney films, the spark of love. After a long day, and again, being a quarter of an inch tall, going from your backyard to your front porch, may not be the easiest thing, can burden you. They all soon discover an oatmeal pie, which not only serves as a great snack, but a great means to meet a new friend, their aunt friend, which can actually be used as a horse to ride them back to the, to the house. As you can guess, nightfall soon approaches. Wayne is still worried, which then prompts Diane, Wayne's wife, to get worried. She calls the police to report her children missing, which happens to be the same thing that the Thompsons are doing at the very same moment. Getting a grip on things, Wayne then decides to tell Diane of the entire situation, of the laser, the shrinking, and the loss of the children. Diane, in her weak composure, passes out in front of the police. Knowing that Wayne is a little bit quirky, but not crazy, they rig up an idea to look over the backyard to find the kids. Meanwhile, our four adventurers need to find shelter, and they do so in some discarded Lego. Thinking that they're safe for the night, they're not. They're soon attacked by a scorpion, whom Auntie, our pet aunt, and someone who Ron has a great bond with, is unfortunately killed in defending our four adventurers. You know, I'm wondering where they're living because if they're having scorpions in their backyard, remind me not to visit during their next picnic. Saddened, they know they must move on for the next day. As day dawns, Tommy, Nick's friend, comes over to mow the lawn. 
This was something that he and Nick had planned on a couple days before. But it's Wayne and Diane who cut off the lawnmower in time before it nearly kills the kids. It propels them inches away from Quark, where the kids are able to use Quark, just as similarly as Auntie, to bring them into the house. And rightfully so he does. Where Nick, unfortunately, falls into the bowl of Cheerios that Wayne is ready to enjoy for the morning. Thankfully, Quark bites Wayne in the leg just before Nick is to be eaten by his father. Wayne swoops them up and takes them upstairs, but still can't understand them. The four of them start playing charades to try to explain to them exactly what happened with the baseball, the lasers, the blowing up, everything. Wayne decides to try the, the device on Big Russ, whom he successfully shrinks and grows. And really, if he did just shrink him, would it be that much uh, of a loss? Really? So, knowing that the first test is out of the way, it's time to bring everyone back. And it works. And because of this, not only do our families get reunited, but a new bond between Russ and Wayne are formed, as well as bringing Diane and Wayne back to each other's arms. A little time passes and the Zelinskys and the Thompsons celebrate Thanksgiving with a little bit of help from some science where they have an enlarged turkey and a giant milk bone for Quark. The spark between Wayne and Diane are not the only thing that seems to have started to bud again. Amy and Russ seem to have found a little bit of a connection during their adventure. I told you CPR does that every time. And our family lives happily ever after. You know, for a 1989 film, this displayed so many new and unique techniques in filmmaking for the Walt Disney Company that it still, to this day, brings a smile and a lot of joy every time I watch it. Who doesn't remember going to the studios and seeing a lot of these great iconic moments? The bee scene, um, the lost areas within the grass. Some of these things still do exist, but a lot of them only remain in our memory. It was thankfully during this time that helped usher in the studios, and you could be a part of the magic when you did take the backlot tour. So again, kind of tying into the whole idea of imagination, not only did it spur the attraction, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, but it was because of these new innovations in technology that helped move the studio along. On a side note, it was to be that movies were to be an actual pavilion within Epcot, and I could see where some of these would have been. However, Michael Eisner decided that a pavilion wasn't going to do it enough justice, seeing that he had worked in the movie industry before and therefore created Disney MGM Studios that we know back when it was open in 89. Want to watch this film? And I know you do. Unfortunately, there's only just a few places in order to see it. Would you believe there is actually no Blu-ray release of this yet? If you think about it, we're only a year away from the 25th anniversary. There may be the possibility, the large possibility, of a Blu-ray release coming next year. However, you still can watch it today. Some people may actually have a VHS copy. 
Not that some of us here in the vault do. Well, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, but we, they also have a DVD version as well. And I've seen it out in many stores as low as $6. So if you're looking for it, you may want to add it to your collection. Can't do it that way? Well, iTunes has it available for a very low price. And I'm not sure, but something tells me that you can find it in other streaming means. So, would you be able to watch it, all these great features? What do you mean, there's no features? Unfortunately, when this came out back in 2002 on DVD for the first time, again, we're going into those movies that were going from VHS to DVD, and a lot of them didn't have any bonus features. And I could only imagine the great bonus features this movie would have. The making of the bee scene, the shrinking. I'm sure there are some great ideas. But unfortunately, if you are getting this on DVD and you find it at a, at a local store somewhere, all you're really going to receive is this fine film. And quite frankly, what more could you ask for? Well, the curtain's coming down and the popcorn's empty, so it can only mean one thing. It's time to say goodbye to you and all my company. But fear not, my friends. We're going to file this fine imaginative film back into the archive just for you. And we'll bring you a new film next week from the vault that will surely bring a smile to your face and a warm, fuzzy feeling in your heart. So until next time, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is always inside of you. As an inventor, Wayne Zielinski was used to striking out. Come on, drink. But now, it's a whole new ball game. The machine works. Do the kids know? Well, yeah, the kids know. That's great. It's not that great. Why? I shrunk the kids. What? And the Thompson kids do. They're about this big. They're in the backyard. What? Threw them out with the trash. The adventure of their lives was right in their own backyard. Be careful. I'll tell you, their size. That backyard is like 10 miles. Insects. It's a jungle out there. From the Disney Studios starring Rick Moranis. Are you saying that that machine blew up my kid? Oh, no, no, no. 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 If the machine had blown up the kids, there'd be pieces of them everywhere. Hey. Oh, Report the missing children. Oh, there must be some mistake. Ours are in the backyard. Right, honey? The box office smash comes to the Disney Channel this September. Ah! Honey, I shrunk the kids. Hey there, all of you D-heads. I'm back once again. You know you couldn't get rid of me that fast. I wanted to close out this week's show before we let you off to just journey into your own imagination here this week as we're jumping into spring, all kinds of fun. And before I do that, I do want to thank Ron Schneider once again for stopping in, sharing his memories, his memoirs, not just about being the dream finder, but also about all of his years in the entertainment industry, improv, and all the different places and stories that he has worked. It truly was a pleasure, Ron, and I look forward to taking you up as we are speaking off air 
about having lunch with you when we're down in Orlando this coming October. So thank you once again, Ron, for stopping in. And all of you D-heads, definitely be sure to check out his book online. Get the autographed copy from Dreamer to Dreamfinder. Definitely check it out. You can find those links on this week's show notes found on our official website at DizRadio.com. I'd also like to thank the D-team. Yes, the entire D-team of Jamie, Jason, Lexi, Randy, and Aaron all for stopping in with your signature segments. You make the show happen. Without the D-team, there would be no DizRadio.com. There would be no Disney On Demand. Thank you, team, once again for all of your hard work, your effort, and for all of you D-heads. If you want to tune in and connect up with all the D-team, definitely check out their bios, their emails, and the way you can connect with them individually on our official website at DizRadio.com. Thanks, team, for making the magic happen once again. So before I let you go, all of you D-heads, I do want to give you all the different ways that you can stay connected here at Disney On Demand. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, our archives, our current shows, news blogs, and more, including our fully free Flash Player, where you can listen to over 300-plus movies, television shows, specials, and more right there in our lifetime of Disney Player. You can stay connected fully at DizRadio.com. Like I said, you can even check our full list of past archives from all of our guests, from John Ratzenberger, Bruce Boxleitner, Bruce Reitherman, Helen Reddy. I mean, you name it. If they have been on our show, they're in the archives. Definitely check it out at DizRadio.com. D-I-Z Radio.com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets. You can connect with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can also friend us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, AOL Insta Messenger, and all over the social media outlets. Just search, yes, you guessed it, Disney Blue, and that's B-L-U. You can also call our Magical Memories Hotline. We can leave a shout-out and more and you may just hear yourself here on the show. So definitely check it out. And remember, you can always download our 100% free, absolutely free iPhone app where you can stay connected with our Twitter, Facebook, latest podcast episodes, news, blogs, and more. And it's absolutely free for your mobile device. Just search Diz Radio in the iTunes store. And if you have a droid or a different kind of mobile device, yes, you can still enjoy our shows. Just search Diz Radio or Disney On Demand using the Stitcher app, which is also absolutely free at Stitcher.com. And remember, you can find all these links, the social media outlets, the phone numbers, and more under our official website at DizRadio.com. So, D-Heads, as we gear up, we get that much closer to our live 50th show. Yes, we are going to do a live show for our 50th. As we get that much closer to that, we have another special guest stopping in here next week for show number 39. But I'm not going to tell you who it is because you will truly enjoy this one. You are going to love it, D-Heads. So before I let you go, as I always ended, being the father that I am, remember, whether you have children, a loved one, that special someone in your life, never neglect family for business. Until next week, all of you D-Heads, I'll catch you online. Oh, there are so many places to dream about. We can visit worlds that were, that could be, and those of fantasy and reality. I bet I can use imagination to discover all kinds of new things. Of course. It's your key to unlock the hidden wonders 
of our world. A dream come true With just one spark In me and you We all have sparks Imagination That's how our minds Create, create Oh, they can make Our wildest dreams come true Those little sparks In me and you Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.